The Powers on Sports Podcast is brought to you by Titan Home Lending, Print and Marketing Solutions, and Star Alvarado. Enjoy the podcast. Larry Bird's not walking through that door. We're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. It's my team. It's my quarterback. Okay. It is. To be the man, you gotta beat the man. The 2 1. Swan Lane Drive left there. One run is in. Here's Kevin Green. Here's the run of the play. He is. Nice. Nice run. This is the Powers on Sports Podcast. Welcome into another episode of the Powers on Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Jason, down in Tampa. Appreciate you finding us on your podcast platform, whether it's Google, Spotify, uh, Apple, whatever it may be. If you haven't already done so, hit that subscribe button so you'll get all the new episodes of the Powers on Sports podcast delivered right to your uh, device or your laptop. As we move throughout the summer, we are in the mid-June as we round through June and we head, are heading to, to the 4th of July. Uh we're gonna got a good, really good episode for you this week. We're gonna talk to two people live on location, one from Omaha, Nebraska, up site of the College World Series. We're gonna talk to Kevin Brockway of the Gainesville Sun, and we're also gonna go out to Berlin, Germany. Yes, Berlin, Germany, and talk to Drew Felios and Dan O'Brien. You say, man, who's Dan O'Brien? Yep, it's that Dan O'Brien. The 1996 Olympic decathlon gold medalist. If you remember back in the 90s, the Dan and Dave Reebok ads, the huge ads that were leading up to the Olympics in 92. And then Dan went on to win the 96 Olympic gold medal in the decathlon. Drew and Dan are in Berlin, Germany, covering the 2023 Special Olympics World Games, which are being held at the Berlin Olympic Stadium which is the first time that stadium's been used for an Olympic-type event since 1936, back in the Jesse Owens, when he had his historic uh, Olympics in Berlin, winning four gold medals. So we're going to talk to Drew and Dan about the Special Olympics, the great coverage they're doing over there on the ESPN platform. We're also going to talk to Dan O'Brien about his career and some Olympic stuff, so you will very much enjoy our conversations with Dan and Drew from Berlin as well as Kevin Brockway in Omaha, Nebraska. He's covering the Gators in the College World Series. The Gators, the time of this recording, is just uh, advanced to the College Championship Series this weekend. They beat TCU on Wednesday afternoon, 3-2, to two, so they'll be in the final series awaiting the winner of the Wake Forest LSU bracket to see who they'll play over the weekend in two out of three. But uh, we'll get to we'll get to Kevin and Dan and Drew in just a few minutes. Before we get to those guys, I just want to give you just go over the headlines here just a little bit from the past uh, week or so of sports. You had the U.S. Open out in L.A. at the L.A. Country Club. Wyndham Clark wins his first ever major. He's won now two big events in about the last five weeks. He won the Wells Fargo in North Carolina. Uh, and then he obviously backs it up and finishes off the U.S. Open on Sunday. Uh, some very uh, 
Very clutch play there at the end. He, he wobbled a little bit there on the bat, the last four holes, 15 and 16, but a great lag two putt on 18 to finish it off, beating out Rory McIlroy, who again cannot come and deliver the goods on Sunday. He's been in he's been in the mix here in a couple of these majors the last uh, the, the last year or so. You remember him in the British Open with Cam Smith. Uh, Smith shot a great round on Sunday. Uh, McElroy just not able to put any scoring together. Same deal on Sunday at the U.S. Open. Just not shoots an even par, which is a decent round, but you have to shoot a couple under here uh, if you're in the chase position in second place. You have to put some pressure on the leader and just not able to do that. He had a terrible miss uh, of about a four-foot putt on the eighth hole. He had a lousy uh, wedge shot later in the round, I think on the 14th hole. Just not able to put any any immediate pressure on Wyndham Clark, but give Clark credit. Again, he had an unbelievable bogey on number eight, where he whiffed on a shot in the in the fescue. Uh, was very fortunate to get out of that hole with just a bogey. Again, a really good bogey, and again, he uh, just kind of stabilized down the wire. But uh, again, a lot a lot of interesting comments about the course in the LA Country Club, which is right there, kind of on the fringe of Beverly Hills and Century City in Hollywood area. Uh, a lot of people liked it. Some didn't. Again, a lot of the big complaint was that the fairways were way too wide, especially there at the end. Uh, I think it was like a 48-yard fairway on the 18th hole where, again, Clark and most other U.S. Open venues on the 18th, he'd have hit a ball that would have definitely been in the rough and would have been, probably would have struggled to make par, which would have uh, potentially created a playoff. But the fairways were very wide. Um, again, the fescue was interesting, how they had the, had the bunkers and all that stuff. But... Uh, I think the the consensus seemed to be that the fairways were probably a little bit too wide for a U.S. Open venue and a little too receptive. But everybody had the opportunity to play uh, the same course and give Wyndham credit credit for his first major championship. We'll be very interesting to see where he goes from here. Uh, Again, he's uh, played really well uh, the last month or so. Two big wins, and we'll see where this goes uh, following uh, the U.S. Open. The British Open's up next at Liverpool. I think uh, Rory McIlroy won the last time it was there, I believe. So Rory's still looking for his uh, first major and going on nine-plus years now. Um, so we'll see how the British Open unfolds. Again, no Tiger Woods at the British Open. He's already um, been made aware that he won't be playing. So we will see again. All the live guys will be at the British Open now that the live merger is kind of in process, has not been finalized. Still, very few details of how that's going to work. So, British Open next for the PGA guys as they move on to England in about a month. So, next bit of news is the uh, next thing. I want to give a shout out. Obviously, if you've been following the news the last several days, this submersible. Uh, vehicle issue that's surrounding the Titanic uh, wreckage in the Atlantic Ocean. Again, very uh, tragic situation potentially unfolding uh, here on Wednesday. Wednesday, we're recording this. Uh, they've, it's been from all indications, they've got less than 24 hours of oxygen left. Uh, so ships from all over the eastern seaboard, the Navy, other countries are helping out to try to figure out a way to locate the submersible with uh, there's five people on board. So be again a very interesting situation that's going to unfold Wednesday night into Thursday morning to see if they can find that submersible before they run out of oxygen. Very again tough situation. Wishing all the best for those uh, five people on board and their families. Uh, so keep those people in your thoughts. NBA draft upcoming here uh, on Thursday night. Obviously you have the 
headliner is going to be Victor Wembayana, the obviously number one pick going to San Antonio, the French kid who's like 7'3". Uh, everybody's saying he's going to be a generational player, so we'll see how that works uh, works out. Interesting things we'll be seeing out what the trades, the interesting trade uh, speculation is going to be. Uh, Bradley Beal's already been traded in the last couple of days to Phoenix. There's all speculation that Kristaps uh, Porzingis is getting ready to get traded from Washington to the Celtics. Um, and a lot of speculation of will the Pelicans potentially trade Zion Williamson uh, to either Portland and or uh, or Charlotte because lots of interest in that number two and number three pick. Brandon Miller and Scoot Henderson are the projected two and three picks. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with uh, will, will Portland make a move to try to pair up Dane with somebody big. Other speculation has been Bam Adebayo potentially to Portland. Um, but it'd be interesting to see, and or Zion Williamson potentially maybe to Portland or Charlotte for that two or three pick. So, um, you know, very tough situation. Uh, tough. What What do you do with Zion Williamson? A lot, tons of potential, but again, a knucklehead off the court from all indications. Not been available to play much on the court due to his injuries and his weight issues. What do you do if you're if you're New Orleans? Do you try to up? Do you try to get younger? Do you try to get a big time point guard potentially in Scoot Henderson? Sounds like they really like Scoot Henderson. Or do you give Zion one more year to get his act together and and, and get his you know what together uh, as we move forward? So there'll be a lot of trades. You'll see a lot of guys get moved. A lot of draft picks get moved tomorrow night. Uh, remember, it's only a two round draft. So and you'll also see a lot of really good players get picked late in that first round. Guys like uh, you know Jordan Hawkins from Connecticut. You'll see some Indiana guys, Shafino Hoods. A lot, a lot of people like him later in the draft. Big names that you that we've seen on the college circuit the last several years. Oscar Shibway. Will Drew Timmy from Gonzaga get drafted? And you'll also see a lot of guys that you've really never heard of. A lot of freshman guys, one and done guys that'll get picked later in the draft as well. So. You don't have to be picking in the top five to pick great picks. Remember, Draymond Green, Nikola Jokic was a second-round pick. So you get a lot of guys. Dame Lillard was not a not a top five pick. So you're going to get a lot of guys, uh, at, you know, between, you know, eight and the end of the first round, even into the second round, they're going to be major impact players over their careers. It'll be very interesting to see how the NBA draft unfolds. So those are kind of your headlines. We are about, again, two weeks away from the 4th of July. Baseball's rolling along. You got the Cincinnati Reds that are on fire. One winners of eleven in a row. Uh, again, you got the uh, the Braves are playing really well in the in the National League too. You got the Giants are on fire in the National League West. You got some of the bigger market teams, San Diego, the Mets, the Yankees are struggling. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what these the, uh, these teams end up doing as as the trade line trade deadline approaches here at the end of July. I think you'll see a team make a move here in the next couple of weeks. Somebody will make the first move as far as for a pitcher or a bit. How about the Florida Marlins? They're playing really well as well. So a lot of the smaller market teams are playing pretty well. And then you got some of the huge payroll teams, big market teams not playing so well. Dodgers, uh, uh, San Diego's not playing well. The Mets not playing well. Yankees. So be interesting to see what those teams do or don't do here in the next uh two to three weeks as we get to the all-star break uh, and, and post-all-star break as well. So remember, you can also find me on the Press Box Radio Show on Wednesdays. I'm a co-host with Mike Grace. On Wednesdays, go to PressBoxRadio.com. Wednesday mornings from 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. on the East Coast. Do that every Wednesday. Again, Powers on Sports Podcast. Appreciate you finding us. You can go to the uh, my YouTube channel, Jason Powers Sports Channel, to get all the YouTube interviews. 
that you're, you'll be able to see the interview with Dan O'Brien and Drew Felios, as well as with Kevin Brockway, and all the previous interviews we've done in the past uh, is also posted there as well, so you get to see lots of content and stuff there. So uh, NFL training camps, a little bit of a dead period in the NFL here now till the end of July, so you get about six weeks of it being a pretty dead period. Still got a couple storylines where will uh, DeAndre Hopkins and Dalvin Cook end up. Uh, will there be some quarterback extensions in the next couple of weeks, month with Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, potentially Dak Prescott? We'll see how that those those things unfold here in the next month or so. But as far as personnel things, there probably won't be a whole lot of transactions in the next 30 days or so. A lot of these guys use this time for their vacation. So this is kind of a dead period in the NFL as we ramp up to training camp in late July, 1st of August, when it'll get going. Same with the college football. So, um there you have your sports headlines for the week again. Uh, first up is going to be uh, Drew Felios and Dan O'Brien. We t- I talked to them live from Berlin, Germany in the Special Olympics World Games. So you'll get a, we'll have a great chat with those guys. And then you're going to hear from Kevin Brockway from the College World Series in Omaha, Nebraska. So talking Florida Gators, College World Series, a little college football as well. So enjoy the podcast. Appreciate you finding us. Tell a friend. And we'd love to we'd love to hear from you. If you have any comments, love to hear from you at JPO Sports, JPO Sports on Twitter. Love to hear any comments. So enjoy the podcast and enjoy Dan O'Brien, Drew Felios, and Kevin Brockway. We'll be right back in just a minute. And now a word from Titan Home Lending. Are you in the market to purchase your first time home, relocate to the state of Florida? or just purchase that second home or investment property? Well, if so, Titan Home Lending can help you get financing for that new home purchase. Reach out to Jason Powers, 205-790-1404, and I can help you get pre-approved in less than one day. A pre-approval is critical in order to make that offer on your home. You want to know how much of a home you can make an offer on, and getting a pre-approval will allow you to do that. From an FHA, VA, conventional loan, jumbo loan, bank statement loans, there are numerous loan options out there to help you get into your house of your dreams. You can also renovate. You can do a renovation loan, which will allow you to make home improvements and finance the costs into the loan. So reach out to Titan Home Lending anywhere in the state of Florida for your next home purchase. 205-790-1404. 205-790-1404. All right, welcome back. Powers on Sports Podcast. Got a great pleasure for you. We're, we're going to take you live to Berlin, Germany, home of the 2023 Special Olympics. We've got two uh, two announcers that are going to be calling the action as part of the Special Olympics. One is a good friend of mine who's been a regular here on the podcast, Drew Felios for ESPN. And the other is an Olympic gold medalist, a guy you know if you're a sports fan. You know this name back in the day. Olympic decathlon champion in Atlanta, 1996, one Dan O'Brien, who also does work for ESPN and NBC. Welcome, gentlemen. Appreciate you joining us on the podcast. Thanks for having us, Jay. Yeah, glad to be here. Thanks. Great pleasure having you guys. First of all, you guys are over covering the Special Olympics, the World Games Special Olympics. First time since 1936. There's been an Olympic event in that stadium, in the Berlin Olympic Stadium. Just talk about walking into that venue, the memories, you know, Jesse Owens, all the great memories in that in that in that arena. Also, obviously, there's some other memories. 
uh, from that from that Olympics as well, Hitler and all that stuff. But just in that arena, talk about that 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 building and that that stadium, the, the drama of that stadium. Well, this guy, this guy's the, the the history buff. I know a lot, certainly, of the 1936 Olympics. But Drew went crazy for that stadium when uh, when we drove by it. So we, he he got his pictures today. So I'll let him talk a little bit about what that means to him. Jason, you pull up to the stadium and you can feel the mystique. It's like there's one entrance, and it's you know a stadium, obviously, that one of the greatest sports moments in the history of sports happened there, and. As I said, you can just kind of feel it. We all took pictures. We could not actually get in the stadium. We're parked right outside the stadium where our venue is, Hans Bronze Plus Stadium, that is housing the athletics competition of the Special Olympics. But, you know, Dan and I were talking, Jason, on the broadcast today, the great story of Jesse Owens. And Dan has a little side story to it with his Olympic knowledge of history that he was able to share. And it's really some riveting stuff. So we're, we're on, so the, the main stadium, we're not in the main stadium, so we're in the practice track, okay? And so there have been a number of, um, you know, uh, sporting events in that stadium, but not an Olympics. And so the Special Olympics being there is, is really kind of cool and special. But uh, I, you know, I'm certainly familiar with the 1936 Olympics, and there's so many great stories. Certainly Jesse Owens winning his four gold medals. Um, you know, it just, and you think about, how he was able to do that. Carl Lewis replicated it in 1984. But uh, I remember, you know, here's one of the stories that uh, uh, it's one of the greatest inspirational stories of of all time. And it's always voted very highly. But Jesse Owens um, was qualified in the finals for the 100 meters and the 200 meters. Um, The USA team got through in the four by one, but he needed to qualify in the long jump to have a shot at a gold medal there. And Jesse had trouble with his run up. He had trouble with his run, two fouls, and he needed to get a mark. Otherwise, he wasn't going to get into the finals and try and have a chance to win a gold medal. And one of his German opponents saw he was saw that he was fouling by a certain amount. Um, Jesse, they weren't allowing him to reach out to his coaches in the stands to get any information. And so, um, believe it or not, a German athlete by the name of Luz Long put a shoe down. And he told Jesse, look, start from this mark. And it should put you in the right place. So Jesse Owens uses that advice, uses that check mark, and he qualifies for the finals and he wins the gold medal in the finals, but he also breaks the world record. All due to a German opponent. And Luz Long was one of the best jumpers in the world at that time. And I'm right. sure, I'm sure that Adolf Hitler and, and and the Nazi regime wanted him to, you know, beat Jesse Owens, but it was interesting. And so they call it one of the most selfless acts in Olympic history. And uh, also the greatest show of sportsmanship. Luz Long wanted to compete against Jesse Owens at his best. And he didn't think if he had won the gold medal and Jesse Owens wasn't in the finals, it would have meant as much. You mentioned the word self. Let's, let's, talk, let's, let's talk about the Special Olympics event. I mean, this is nothing but a, an event full of, of, of athletes. You got over 7,000 athletes from you know, ages 12 and up. I saw a Twitter story of a girl that's 12 years old, the youngest competitor in the, in the special Olympics, 26 sports, 20,000 volunteers. It's a worldwide event. Just talk about the event, Drew and and Dan about special Olympics. Obviously it's, it's such a big moment for these young, young, young athletes and young, young men and women throughout all over the world. Just talk about the thrill that they're, they're getting to experience the athletic uh, accomplishments they're getting to experience. Well, Jay, 190 countries are represented here. Wow. 
and, and we are covering nearly 800 of them at the athletics venue. And clearly what makes these games different, usually when you go to an Olympics or world championships, the focus is on first, second, and third. Let's face it, that medal stand. Here, it's the entire race. It's finishing. Whoever finishes first, whoever finishes last, probably gets more attention than who finishes first. And everybody is into every single race. You see the, the families and the friends groups for these athletes. They come into the stadium specifically to watch that athlete compete. There's a little warm-up area on the side, Jay, where the athletes kind of get ready before they actually enter the stadium. Then they have their big moment and they exit the stadium. And that's when they get together with their families again. And, and you know, we're seeing 16-year-olds uh, with syndrome, with intellectual disability. And you can tell the struggle they've experienced these games for the first time. And I'm telling you, you, you just you want to cry. It's uh, it's probably one of the most emotional things I've ever been part in, in my time sports media. It's it's really it really is touching, and I think you know Drew and I is like, hey, this is this is a different kind of a competition, okay? And I and when they asked me to do this, I didn't know what to expect. You know, how do you call these races? And you know, is it, it, they said you're not going to talk about technique. You're you're not going to talk about you know even really who who wins, and it's hard not to because somebody crosses the finish line first. But it it's the effort, it's the the struggle, and by virtue of making this team, by virtue of showing up it, here in Berlin. All these, all these athletes are winners. You know, we saw one little boy, Ryan Griffin, today. He's a, a, a mini javelin, uh, 100, uh, 100 meters. He brought 12 family members, all right? And they're having as much fun as he is celebrating. They got, you know, they got to get interviewed. Um, and so it's just, you know, the, the power of sports, bringing people together. And the Olympics, it, it, is, it is the Olympics. And at the Olympic Games, we, we put down the reason that we even that the Olympics were even started was that we put down our weapons and we become friends for a period of time. And and really, the true the true spirit of the Olympics is is here at the Special Olympics. And what's even more amazing to me is that 190 countries have made this commitment to Special Olympics. The financing that it takes to get these kids and these young adults to here <clears throat> to put them up and all the different things you you know there's a lots of countries around the world that you would think wouldn't be interested in this kind of stuff and it's amazing that over 190 countries are interested in promoting their athletes and their in their populations this way. Yeah, there's countries we haven't heard of. <laughs> right, we're looking yes. up on Google. It's it's absolutely amazing. Yeah, and and, and Jay, there's actually extra emphasis on the Ukraine team that is here okay. uh, really getting treated extra special here. And it's also nice to see China here. You know, you hear so much in the media about the rift right now, the competition between the United States and China right. uh, politically and trying to be the world leader, but to see them here and to watch the athletes interact and everything, I almost wish that the world leaders could all come and experience this. And maybe this entire world could be a different place. So talk about this. I want one more question on Special Olympics. Talk about the Shriver family. The, if you don't know, the Shriver family uh, is very instrumental in starting Special Olympics. They've been very instrumental in this. Just talk about the commitment by them to make this their one of their lifelong missions in life as a family. Well, I first was introduced to um, uh, to uh, Maria Shriver back in 1992. Believe it or not, when I um, when I was part of the Dan and Dave ad campaign. 
Right. And Maria Shriver had her up close and personal TV show. She came and interviewed me. Uh, I thought she treated me a little unfairly, but she was, uh, you know, a hard hitting investigator. And, you know, it was, it was, you know, I, I, I'd made a lot of mistakes in college and kind of messed around. And, you know, I was kind of going from a bad boy image to this Olympic, to, to this Olympic athlete. And, and um, I got a chance to meet her, know her, but then I would run across her years later. I'd get a call from Carl Lewis one year and Carl Lewis had a hip surgery, had a hip replacement. But Carl was part of the Shriver Foundation that put on a 5K run um, down in Cambria, California. It's at the end of a 100-mile ride. Um, so there's a 100-mile bike ride that the Shriver Foundation puts on. And you ride your bike from Monterey down to Cambria, down to Hearst Castle. And then down in the bottom, there's a 5K run. So Carl Lewis was always the host of the 5K run. And so he asked me if I would fill in for him one year. And so I got a chance to be a part of this. And... I wasn't very familiar with Best Buddies or uh, or the work with the Special Olympics, but the commitment, the passion that the the Shrivers have uh, to this, I mean, it's absolutely amazing that um, this is even happening. And it really, you know, when you see the when you see the the, the pictures, when you see the video of the opening ceremonies here at uh, here in Berlin, I mean, there are forty thousand people showed up for the opening ceremonies for Special Olympics. So. It's, oh, I watched uh, it, it Sunday. Of, I watched it on Sunday. Oh, yeah. It was pretty absolutely cool. Amazing. Yeah, absolutely amazing. So I, I mean, you can't say enough about um, uh, about the about the Shriver family and really what they've done for individuals with uh, with mental disabilities. And to add to that, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, he's got the documentary right. out right now on Netflix. It was immediately after his involvement in Special Olympics. He made his run for governor in the state of California. And of course, won that office. It was right kind of off the back right. of Special Olympics. So that's something else to keep in mind. And that kind of brings us to another point. Dan and I, the other night, we had dinner with Tim Tebow, yep. well, of course, on the ESPN crew. And uh, Dan, it was fun kind of watching the two athletes talk. And yeah. Dan kind of kidded him, said, Hey, man, you still got rock some stars. quarterback left in you? Rock stars. <laughs> <laughs> And Tim said, no, I'm, I'm done it at least for now. But, uh, but yeah, it was a really, really fun time getting to know the staff here. And Jay, just to add to that. So we're, we continue to have dinner and you never know who's going to walk in Maureen McCormick, Marsha Brady from the Brady bunch comes up to our table and starts greeting us. I was like, what in the heck? She is heavily involved in this event. She has a brother from what I understand that has been involved in Special Olympics for a long time. So that was really cool how this has touched so many people. Uh, you, so you can catch coverage of the Special Olympics on, e, on the ESPN platforms, the different ESPN platforms. This, the opening ceremony was last Sunday, live on uh, e, ABC. They'll have a wrap-up show at the end. Uh, talk, and, and Drew, give, give us a little sense of where you can find all the different events and coverage on the platforms. Watch it every single day this week on ESPN+. Plus. We've got cameras at the weightlifting venues, also the swimming venues, Rowdy Gaines, you know, the yep. great uh, Olympian from Los Angeles and the, the, the greatest voice that's ever done swimming along with Dan Hicks. Yep. Um, he is at the swimming venue. And interesting, too, he was telling us that in L.A. in 2028, that will be his final Olympics because okay. it's come full circle. He started there 84. He'll finish his career. And 2028 plans to move to Port Charlotte too, Jason, for all Floridians that that want to know. But um, but yeah, every day ESPN Plus, we've got coverage from the Special Olympics. And again, it's an incredible thing to watch.
All right, Dan, I'm going to ask you a couple questions about your career. Obviously, Dan does Dan, Dan has done several Olympic Olympic Games coverage with NBC Sports. And you, will you be doing the, the Paris Olympics next year, in a couple years? Uh, my wife certainly hopes so. Ah. Um, where she, it's, the Paris Disney Paris is on her bucket list. Um, and so I'm on I'm, right now. I'm on the B squad for for the NBC squad. I do some live streaming for them. Yeah. Um, you know, if somebody goes down, I'm ready to go in. But I'll, I I do uh, I do work for ITN, which is a uh, a British broadcast yes. company for World Championships and and uh, a lot of non-Olympic uh, track yeah. and field coverage. But no, I'm I'm hoping that I get a chance to go to Paris next year in one way or another. I, you know, I'll, I'll I'll make it. I the two Olympics I haven't been to in the last 26 years, uh, Beijing and Rio, are the are the are the only two summer games that have been. And I've had a chance to attend all the all the other ones. So hope to be in Paris. And, and, and I'm going to, I'm going to, for all our younger audience that didn't know about Dan O'Brien, Google him, look him up on YouTube. This guy was a unbelievable athlete. And I'm going to ask him a couple of questions about his athletic career in a second, but this guy was the quintessential American athlete after Bruce Jenner, now Caitlyn Jenner. This guy was the man. I mean, this guy was an unbelievable athlete, culminated his career at 96 in Atlanta, winning the gold medal. Uh, in the decathlon, maybe the most grueling, probably the most grueling event in the Olympic uh, platform. How did you, how did you, Dan, talk about how did you get into being a decathlete of all things? How did, how did you focus? This is what I want to do from a professional perspective. I got into the decathlon because I got a bad grade in social studies, believe it or not. My mom had a rule (laughs) that if I got anything less than a C, I couldn't participate in the sports that quarter. All right. So I'm in high school. I'm in the ninth grade. I get a D in social studies over the winter quarter. And so my mom doesn't let me go out for track in the spring. And I had a pottery teacher by the name of Larry Hunt, who um, helped me. He said, look, uh, uh, you know, he was he was my track coach as well. And he was disappointed that I couldn't run track my freshman year. And so he said, look, I'll help you get the grade up um, and, uh, you know, come in when you need to extra time tutoring or whatever. And so he helped me get the grade up, but I didn't know he had an agenda. And so after the quarter was over and I get my report card, I don't, I don't have any D's. He goes out to my house and he says, my mother, he's like, look, Mrs. O'Brien, you know, Dan does great. I'd love for him to participate in a summer decathlon. And at that point, I didn't care what track event it was. All I all I knew was that I was going to get a chance to run track, and I, it hurt me pretty deeply that I didn't get to participate in track. Um, I, I had to walk by the track to get home or ride my bike, um, and so it was uh, it was it was heartbreaking. So, but Larry trained me for my first decathlon in the ninth grade, Southern Oregon State decathlon. It was held at my high school, and I can remember after my first uh, after my first decathlon, I told Coach Hunt, I said, I am never doing that again. Um, but every year it would come around and I would do it again. And so I got into it in the ninth grade. I went to college. I went to the University of Idaho on a scholarship in decathlon. But I really didn't do a lot of decathlon training my first couple of years, ran hurdles and 400s. It yeah. wasn't until my senior year that I uh, had the highest score in the nation in college and then uh, injured myself, wasn't able to win an NCAA title. But uh, you know, it was a prospect. People looked at me as somebody who had a lot of potential. And I was just lucky enough to come along at the right time. There was a there was a program called the Visa Decathlon Program that sponsored the top ten guys in the U.S. and I got on that program and it just I excelled. It was one of those things, but I didn't want to be a decathlete. I didn't love the event. I thought it was too difficult. Um, I wanted to be a hurdler. I wanted to be a sprinter. I looked at Carl Lewis and thought, you know, give me the glamour. You know, I, I 
one event, you know, I, I didn't, didn't love the 400 or the 1500 meters. Um, but I got a chance to go to the 1988 Olympic trials just based on sheer ability. Um, and I met Jackie Jordan Kersey. Yeah. And, uh, I'm on the practice track and I introduced myself to she and her husband, Bob, and, and they said, well, you know what, what a bender you in? And I said, well, I do the decathlon, but I'd rather hurdle and long jump. And in a 20 minute conversation, Jackie and Bob convinced me that the decathlon was, was my path. And I can remember going home. I, I, I only lasted two events at the Olympic trials that year, had a bad hamstring. Um, but on the plane going home from Indianapolis, I mean, I saw Flo Joe run the 1046 and Carl yeah. Lewis almost jumped 29 feet in a, in a pouring rain. I was truly inspired, but uh, Jackie, I'll never forget her words. It's like, why are you trying to get out of the decathlon? You need to be in the decathlon. And I made up my mind in 1988 that I was going to stop trying to get out of it. And three years later, I was a world champion. And you were a three-time world champion at that, not just a one-timer. He was a three-time world champion. Let's, let's go to right. 1996 in Atlanta. Talk about the, you know, okay. if you don't know, the decathlon's broken into five, 10 events, two two days of five event, events each, correct? Is it back-to-back days? No no rests? That's right. So five events yes. each day for two, two straight right. days. Everything from the long jump to the mile run to the 400. I mean, grueling events. For a runner, for a jumper, whatever it is, whatever your well, first of all, what was your strength? What were the one or two events that you were really good at, and maybe the one or two events that you struggled at? Well, I was a sprinter jumper, and okay. so that made me really kind of a perfect decathlete, perfect athlete for the decathlon. I could run the hundred, I could long jump, I could run the four hundred, I could hurdle. Uh, I even pole vaulted in high school, so I was a pretty decent pole vaulter. You know, just had a bad day in 92 and didn't make the team. But um, I really only had one weakness, and that was the metric mile at the end, the 1,500 right. meters. And I just was not a great 1,500 runner. I, guarantee, I bet if my VO2 max was tested, I, I would test very averagely among the decathletes. Um, but, you know, my goal was to win an Olympic gold medal. I wrote that goal down early on in my journey in, in the sport of the, in the, in the decathlon and you know, I, I wanted to be the next Bruce Jenner and Bruce Jenner was my mentor in the nineties, you know, yeah. somebody who, somebody who I looked up to and somebody who I got a chance to, to spend a lot of time and communicate with. And so, you know, my goal was to win Olympic gold medal and take my place in history amongst those great American decathletes, Bob Mathias and Rafer right. Johnson, Bill Toomey, Milt Campbell, and of course, Bruce Jenner. Uh, Dan, and I'm, I'm going to ask you, I got to, I'm going to ask you both a question here about venues. Talk about, the joy when you knew in 96 at that moment in time, I'm going to freaking win the gold medal here. What was that thought? What was that emotion in a, in your home country in the trials and turbulence that you went through four years before that, not making the team, just talk about the joy and the exhilaration of knowing, gosh, dang it. I'm winning the freaking gold medal here. Can you hear me? Can you hear well, me? You know, what's, what's yeah. interesting is um, somebody else had to tell me. I, I can hear you. Yes. Yep. You got us? Yeah, I, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I can hear you. Yep. Okay. So, uh, I get, so first day of competition goes pretty well. I've got a slim lead. I run a good 400. And the second day, you know, I'm grinding out. And, you know, I, I, make, my, I make my bars in the pole vault. And, the javelin is the, the ninth event. 
and you know by the time you get to the javelin, you're pretty tired by that time. And these days are long. You start at nine in the morning. You're not finishing until 10 p.m. at night, 11, 10 30, 11 o'clock at night. Um, but after the javelin was over, I went to the practice track, which was very similar to here in Berlin. You got the main stadium, and then you got the practice track. But I was on the practice track with uh, my training partner, Michael Joubert. And he was a 400 meter runner who went to Washington state, but he represented Australia at two different Olympics, but he came out, he wasn't, he wasn't competing that day. And we're on the practice track and we got about a half an hour before I have to run the last race. And, you know, Michael Joubert, just a typical Australian. He just, we're, we're in the, you know, we're, we're looking up in the sky and we see the full moon above the stadium. And he said, bloody hell, O'Brien in a, in a 45 minutes, you're going to be a goddamn legend. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought about that. I was like, wow, you know, I, I just, it didn't really hit me until that moment. Right. And it was just like, wow. He, and I never thought of myself as a legend, never thought of myself as, you know, uh, being a Rafer Johnson or a Bob Mathias, but it just kind of hit me at that moment. It was like, wow, you know, I, I'm going to win the Olympic gold medal. And I had to just go out there and give a solid effort in 1500 meters. But I, I, you know, I think what I remember is it was a cool journey for me. But it was also I got to t- I got to take hundreds of people on the journey with me. Right. My entire family was in the stadium. Uh, half the town of Moscow, Idaho, was in that stadium. You know, I gave shout outs to the people of Pullman, Washington and Klamath Falls, Oregon. And, you know, it's, it, it was really neat to be able to, you know, let those people experience it as well and have a have a victorious day. And a, even a buddy of mine back in Moscow, Idaho said, you know, hey, man, you won the gold and I got lucky and because of it. And, you know, he thanked me for that. It was kind of a funny deal. But, you know, I had so many people that I was connected to at that particular time. And I think when I failed to make the team in 92, I got a ton of fans to go into 1996. Oh, yeah. and, and that was that was a really that was a really cool feeling. And for you, Drew, talk about calling calling a big event in a big venue. When it whether whether it's football, I know you do a lot of soccer. Just talk about the enthusiasm when you're in a big venue calling an event like calling an event. Just in general, the emotions. Well, first I first I thought you were going to ask me about my athletic career for about 15 minutes. <laughs> well, your broken you- jumper, your your jumper was broken about 16 years old at Lato High School. <laughs> Well, that's another story for another day. Um, you know, Jason. Uh, God, I wouldn't want to see you lot. on the track. I wouldn't want to see you on the track trying to run a, 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 a an eight hundred meter. That would be a sight to see, brother. <laughs> no, there, there's definitely a reason I'm in the booth. But you know, I, I I I've been in the business for a long time now, more than a couple decades, and been doing events since 2005. And I really enjoy covering a lot of the events where you're covering athletes that normally don't get the exposure that they right. deserve. Dan and I were talking later on this summer, you know, Jay, I, I, I take part in the, in the little league world series. So right. I, I get a chance to work that event for ESPN. So that's a great event. This event, a chance to tell stories and put athletes in the spotlight that, that don't normally ever get that, that stage. So um, just getting the opportunity to, do events like this, meet people like Dan and work with Dan. Um, you know, I'm blessed to do it. And uh, it has not disappointed thus far. It's been a great trip. And uh, we're going to finish this thing out strong. We're on the air until Saturday. Now, you guys are doing all – last thing, I'll get you out of here. You guys are doing all track and field events, correct? All at the at the same venue, correct? Yes. From, now, you're yes. doing are – there, are, there, are there javelins? So there's everything from javelin throws to runs to – 
uh, yeah. you know, shot puts, everything, correct? Now, now there's something, there's an apparatus called the mini javelin, an apparatus, it's a piece of equipment, the mini javelin, used specifically for Special Olympics, sure. that Dan taught me today, We made it was a special feature package yeah. that ESPN packaged. Dan and I got up early this morning, went out to the field, he gave me a one-on-one, you know, session on how to throw this thing. And he knows all the history about it. Again, you can watch it on ESPN Plus yep. and see. And I believe it'll also be on the rap show as well. But, uh, you know, little things like that. I threw that thing. Jay, you would have been impressed, man. I still got <laughs> something left right here, brother. <laughs> well, well, fellas, it's been a real pleasure, man. Awesome talking to you guys. I know the, the experience of being in Berlin for eight or nine days is probably a life-changing or awesome, you know, the Olympic Stadium and all the things you guys are doing and getting people you're getting to meet. Thanks so much for the time. Keep up the great coverage on all the ESPN platforms. Folks, check it out, ESPN+. Plus. There will be a wrap-up show. What is the last day, Drew? July? Is it July? What's the last day of the event? I believe it's July 26th. June 26th. Yeah. Yeah. Sunday, yeah. yep. So, June, June 26th. June yep. 26th. So there'll be a wrap-up show on ABC, ESPN, so definitely find it on your on your TV dial. Again, fellas. Yeah. And, go ahead. and j- just before we go to, Jay, kind of our favorite thing we like to say Whenever, you know, we always quote great sports calls of the past. And we always like to say to each other, no, seven, seven, nine, nine. <laughs> the call from Charlie Jones. I believe that was Ben Johnson. It was. And that showdown in 1988. But, but Dan's got some great iconic memories and moments from Olympic history as well. And it's been great hearing those firsthand from him this week. Dan, I could talk to you for an hour, man. I really could. I don't want to. Maybe we'll do it. <laughs> Seriously, maybe we'll do it again a little longer okay. form. And I'd love to talk Be to you. Be glad to. The stories are awesome, man. This guy's an Olympic gold medal champion, a legend in the world of decathlon, an American hero when it came to, to the decathlon back in the, me and Drew's prime. 96 was our prime, man. That was that was in nice. our wheelhouse. So I remember every 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 moment of that stuff. And keep up the great work, fellas, doing the great work you guys are doing. The special athletes that you're dealing with, shout out to every one of them. Uh, every one of those young adults and, and boys and girls that are involved in that, what a job they do and what a job you guys are doing covering them. Keep up the great work and have a great visit in Berlin. Thanks, Jack. You got it. Thanks for finding us on the Powers on Sports Podcast. We'll be right back with Kevin Brockway, the Gainesville Sun. Now a word from our partners at Print and Marketing Solutions as well as Star Alvarado, our realtor here on the podcast. If you have any buying and selling needs anywhere in the Bay Area, reach out to Star Alvarado, 813-538-9572. She can help you on the selling side or the buying side of any real estate transaction here in the Tampa Bay Area. From St. Pete to Tampa to Wesley Chapel and anywhere in between, reach out to Star Alvarado, 813-538-9572. And Print and Marketing Solutions, my guy Todd Tedesco, 813-498-2887. Todd's located on the corner of Lineball and Gun Highway over in Carrollwood. Todd can help you with all of your print and supply needs, corporate events, golf tournaments, signs and banners, marketing pieces, color copies, anything in between. Todd is your print and marketing specialist. Again, print and marketing specialists. Todd Tedesco, 813-498-2887. All right, welcome back. Powers on Sports Podcast. Now we are off to Omaha, Nebraska, home of the College World Series. The Florida Gators 
are in the driver's seat in their bracket to get out. They are in the winner's bracket. Uh, next game will be up on Thursday. Uh, they will play uh, either TCU or uh, Oral Roberts in a, in a game where TCU and Oral Roberts has to beat Florida twice. So no better person to talk to than Kevin Brockway. Kevin's uh, been a regular here on the podcast. He covers the Gators uh, sports uh, beat for the Gainesville Sun and the Gannett Florida Network. So welcome back, Kevin, live from Omaha. Yeah, hey, it's good to be here. And uh, it's been a good run so far for Florida. They've won their first uh, two games, a couple of dramatic uh, nail biters, one run games. But uh, the Gators have managed to uh, put themselves in a really good position, uh, you know, going into next week. Their next game is going to be on Wednesday. And if they win that game, then they get to the final series. Talk about yeah. Talk about the dramatics. There's been a lot of dramatics in all the games, not just the Florida two games. The the, the series has been peppered with late late inning drama. The Gators started off this uh, you know the drama coming back from two down in the ninth to uh, to beat uh, Virginia two solo homers, and then you had the sacrifice fly. Just talk about the drama that you know you, you and I talked a couple weeks back how Florida has been very dependent on the home run and that's been a very key moment here a key part of their uh their comeback so talk about the first i guess the the initial late late inning drama comeback versus virginia a little bit yeah yeah and uh, you know you talk about drama i mean and this whole tournament six of the eight games have been decided by one run but for florida it was an interesting game on friday night because you know the wind was blowing in for about the first six or seven innings uh, then it stopped, and uh, that's when Florida got going with the long ball. With the, you know, I thought that BT Ryapel homer was huge, making it four three. And then, you know, Neely gives up a run in the top of the ninth, and you're thinking, oh, you know, it, right. it's going to be a tough O. But uh, Ty Evans is a guy who, uh, you know, obviously was a late replacement that needed offense. He gave him offense. He had a solo home run to start the ninth inning. Gave him a real nice jolt. Then uh, a home run by Wyatt Langford uh, that probably hasn't landed yet, right? It's 456 feet. Uh, that was huge. And and they load the bases. So they were really uh, – Jake Berry was on his third inning of relief for Virginia there. And I think the uh, probably wore down a little bit. But uh, credit Florida for taking advantage of it and uh, pulling out the win. In game two, they they play Oral Roberts. Kind of the script flips a little bit. Florida jumps out to the lead. And they kind of have to hang on there at the end. Uh, against Oral Roberts, talk about um, talk about the pitching a little bit. I mean, obviously the pitching's been really good for Florida for the most part. The starting pitching's been good, but the bullpen is where kind of if Florida's vulnerable, it seems like maybe that's a little bit where they're vulnerable. Well, you know, I think too. You know, Hurston Waldrop gave him six really good innings, but he did walk three batters uh, early in that game, and that kind of came back to bite him from a pitch count standpoint. So he only lasted six innings. Uh, then you go to Ryan Slater. And, uh, you know, I think, too, you know, T- Tyler Shelnut, who, who's been really good with the bat uh, for Florida, but is a kind of a converted infielder. Um, you know, that was a tough play out there, but uh, maybe could have been made. But it turned out to be a two-run inside the park home run, makes it 5-3. to three. Then uh, you get in a situation where you have Brandon Neely on the mound, your closer, to try to finish it out, but they make too many mound visits. Kevin O'Sullivan right. steps out. That's a crazy situation for him. And then you go to Cade Fisher. And uh, Kate Fisher, uh, freshman lefty, uh, closed the door. You know, it was a little shaky in the ninth, but he got it done. And uh, Kevin O'Sullivan even apologized to his team afterwards for, uh, you know, not knowing, uh, keeping, you know, maybe the dugout not keeping track of it. But uh, it was uh, just one of those crazy nights. But uh, they did find a way to pull it out. And, uh, you know, they hit three more homers also on 
right. uh, Sunday and, uh, you know, broke the school record, 135 dingers for the season. Um, but uh, you would like to see this offense uh, generate runs uh, without the low maybe going forward, because I think there are going to be some circumstances, uh, you know, the next oh, few yeah. days where, where the wind will be blowing in and, and, and you're going to need to uh, manufacture and score runs in different ways. Yeah, the only, Florida only had, what, five hits against Oral Roberts, I think, and three of those were homers. So it wasn't like yeah. it was an offensive barrage. Um, talk about – just talk about the general atmosphere of Omaha. Obviously, this is a great event. Teams from all over the country. There's obviously eight fan bases. Wh- who's the most popular – I mean, who's got the most people out there? A lot of people think LSU tends to bring the most people. What's been the atmosphere, just the, uh, the, just the city and where you're at? Yeah, no, LSU and Wake Forest have been the two big fan bases out here, particularly LSU. They come every year. Uh, their fans are very, very rabid. And, uh, you know, they have the Jello shot contest, right, at, at Rocco's across from the stadium. And uh, LSU is running away with it. I think they're up to like ten or 20,000 or something ridiculous like that. And Florida's uh, a little far behind. But uh, I think the Gator fans, um, you know, you, you hope uh, if they make it to the final series the following this weekend coming up that uh, they'll show up and have a chance to witness, uh, you know, what could be their second national championship uh, in school history. And uh, I do think that uh, Florida's in a really good spot right now, a really good position um, to at least make the final series. And if it's, if it's them and wake, uh, I think that'll be, uh, that'll be a pretty tough matchup because uh, then you'll have the number one and number two seeds um, and two teams that are really complete uh, and in all phases of the game in terms of, of defense, pitching and offense. Um, those are really the two teams. I, I kind of liked LSU, but I think their talent, it's kind of top heavy with Skeens and Cruz, right. and it looks like the depth in their pitching uh, could be a big concern going forward. And, and they're really going to have to, you know, uh, dig out of it now uh, with the situation that they're in in the losers bracket facing Tennessee tonight. Yeah, that's one other thing. Again, if you're Florida, you don't obviously don't want to look at the other bracket a whole lot, but you know that one of the other SEC teams is going to get eliminated with Tennessee and LSU both going to knock each other out. In your in your right, Skeens is the is the heavyweight. He's the uh, He's the, the 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 guy you don't want to see if you can avoid that. Pitching wise for Florida, has uh, Kevin O'Sullivan uh, announced how he's going to go in this next game? Is he going to is he going to try to is he going to save anybody? or Is he going to go for the knockout punch to try to get to the finals immediately with his pitching? No, I can't. Leon. I mean, he's been the third starter all year, and Jack has been a little better of late. So I think he'll be the guy that uh, gets the ball, and then you'll probably have. Uh, Ryan Slater behind him, Philip Abner, uh, you know, hasn't pitched yet. Maybe he gets a little bit of run in the thing. And then, uh, you know, maybe in the late inning, you go again to uh, Brandon Neely and Cade Fisher. I guess, uh, you know, Neely's outing being shorter than expected uh, does save some pitches, obviously. Hold on there a second. We've lost our connection with Kevin Brockway. We just give us a minute. We'll be right back. Hold on. Kevin will join us back here in just a second. You there, Kevin? I'm here. Yeah. Ain't no Did problem. I lose you? Yeah, we lost you for just a few seconds. All talk right. about you, you, we talk about the pitching, the pitching uh, kind of scenario for Florida. The next day, you mentioned Caglione and who who potentially it will be available behind him. Yeah, Ryan Slater, I think would be a guy. Phil Babner would be another one who hasn't pitched yet. Uh, a lefty, you know, could get some uh, pitches in this uh, in this game, and then 
you know, you've got Kate Fisher and Brandon Neely. And I think Florida's just in a really good spot because they've had two days off. Um, so I, I think a lot of the pitchers would be flat open. But you're also probably hoping that Ken Young gives you a really good start. You know, he's been a, a little up and down throughout the course of the season. Sometimes he can get a little wild. But when he's on and when he's dialed in, um, he still has great stuff. I mean, he still throws, you know, that fastball, you know, 95 to 97. You've got. All right, we're having a couple technical issues. All right, there he is. Yep. Okay. It's called technology, folks. Kevin's live from Omaha. He's in a hotel, so we apologize, but Kevin's back. Go ahead, Kevin. Yeah, I mean, Caglione, I think, is, like I said, you know, you're hoping for a, a long start from him, yep. and he's shown he's capable. I mean, he pitched really well at the end of the SEC season. Um, so if, if you can get five to seven innings out of him in this start, you're going to be in a really good spot. Uh, you know, later, uh, and then late in the game, Brandon Neely. Do you anticipate any kind? Is do you anticipate any kind of lineup changes to spark the offense a little bit? Try to not be as reliant on the home run, or do you think he's going to go with the his his top nine guys that he's been going with for the most part throughout the year? Yeah, I think he's going to, you know, pretty much go with his guys. I mean, Ty Evans, I think, is the hot bat. So you'll see him at one of the corner outfield spots still. Um, and then Colby Holter at third base has hit well in the postseason. So I think he's he's really settled on him uh, as the starting third baseman. So, um, you know, Kate Curlin has kind of struggled. He did have a hit uh, in his last game to lead off the game. But he's a guy that uh, I think they'd really like to see get going at the leadoff spot yeah. um, to get up base and create some havoc out there. All right, so so again, just summarizing here, Florida's in the driver's seat in their bracket. They're in the they're in the winners half of the bracket. Uh, they're going to play the uh, the loser of the of the winner, excuse me, of the TCU Oral Roberts game, uh, and that winner will have to beat Florida twice. So lo looking pretty good for Florida at least to get to the championship series. Again, we don't know who they're going to see on the other side. Potentially Wake Forest, when well, that would be a classic one-two matchup in the College World Series. I got a couple football questions for you. Uh, a couple big recruiting notes in the last few days for Florida. Give the audience an update. Uh, they signed a, a, a big defensive lineman, uh, outside linebacker kid from Mississippi, and then, and then a quarterback left Florida and is going somewhere else. Give, give the audience a little update on that. Yeah, well, Waller is a guy who, uh, you know, he's that uh, five-star, four-star edge rusher who uh, is, uh, you know, top 30 national prospect. Uh, really good player. And then if you look up and down the board of, of their commitments, a lot of guys on the defensive line, a lot of guys uh, that are edge rushers, uh, they did get the tight end, Amir Jackson too. But uh, for the most part, uh, addressing the line of scrimmage, both lines of scrimmage, offense and defense, which is how you got to win in the SEC. I mean, I think we all know that. It's a line of scrimmage league. And I think, you know, Billy Napier has done a good job of, of addressing that. And uh, I've seen in some rankings now the 2024 class is up to uh, – two, three in the country right now uh, behind Georgia. So um, that's a pretty good neighborhood. Uh, of course, you know, you got to hold them all until December. That's the key, right? Because, right. uh, you know, these kids can be pretty fickle. But, uh, you know, you, you, you hope you can and you hope that uh, it, uh, it that, that class materializes and that you can have a class that uh, is really good. And then, you know, obviously Austin Simmons decommitting and then going to Ole Miss, a little bit of a surprise. Um, so I think your quarterback situation going into 2023 You've got Jack Miller, you've got Graham Mertz, 
And uh, you got to hope that those guys, the experience of those guys and having been through the Big Ten uh, will carry through and, and be able to lead the offense for the 2023 season. And DJ Lagway will be waiting in the wings in 2024. Right. Um, uh, he, he will be the quarterback of the future. Was that part of the decision you think for Simmons to leave was because of Lagway? Yeah, I, you know, I was I didn't think it necessarily made sense with regards to that. Like, would he want to compete with DJ Lagway? But I also thought that maybe there was a chance that if this kid Austin Simmons was really that good, you know, maybe by the middle of the season he could uh, have a chance to take the job for twenty twenty three. But uh, it didn't work out that way, and maybe he'll just go instead with uh, Lane Kiffin and learn and develop under him and. Uh, see uh see how his career goes there but uh I, I know simmons has a lot of talent he broke a lot of anquan bolden's passing records at pahokee so we'll see uh if, if he can become a guy in the sec that uh will be reckoned with well kevin brockway great work keep up the great uh coverage of the gators uh beat tell everybody where they can find your great coverage uh throughout the rest of the week and uh moving through the summer yeah at kevin brockway g1 gatorsports.com gainesville.com that's where you can find me he does great work. He'll be covering the Gators football beat as we move closer to training camp. Obviously, the rest of this week will be live in Omaha covering the Gators in, the, in their run for a college World Series. And hopefully we won't see Kevin on the wall there with all the jealous shots. Hopefully he, he can partake <laughs> a little bit, but not too much. So have a great uh, rest of your week, Kevin, in Omaha. Have a nice steak. Have a nice meal. And enjoy all the great baseball. All right. Thank you, Jason. Thanks again for listening to the Powers on Sports podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on whatever podcast platform you are hearing us tonight. Remember, you can reach out to us on Twitter at JPOSports. So we'd love to hear your feedback, comments, suggestions for future episodes. And again, thanks for all the support. Remember to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues. And we'd love to see you back next time for the next episode of the Powers on Sports podcast. Have a great week.